0: And welcome to the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living. I'm your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. I've been studying the Tao Te Ching for just short of a year now and have reconnected with a natural feeling of inner peace and contentment. I don't hold a doctorate, nor am I qualified to teach anything about the Tao Te Ching. I'm just an ordinary person who has experienced the wonderful side effects of following the Tao. Since everyone's experience with this wisdom is different, the only thing that I can hope for is that mine helps you to connect with the Tao in your own unique, personal way. Feel free to listen to each episode a day at a time, or anytime you need a quick Tao shot. You can listen while you're on your way to work, or after that, when you're winding down. It's always a good time to observe the Dao. In each episode, we'll do four things. One, we'll read a verse of the Dao De Jing. Two, I'll break it down into everyday language. Three, I'll share my own thoughts and experience. And four, I'll leave you with a couple of the many ways you can put the Dao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Dao every day, by listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. Thanks for joining me today, and enjoy this episode of the Dao De Jing for Everyday Living. In verses 1 through 6, Lin Yutang tells us that we are learning of the character of the Dao and what he calls Book 1. Verses 7 through 13 make up Book 2 and talk about the lessons of the Dao. So, let's go ahead and begin with verse 7, Abandoning Identity. Heaven and Earth endure. If they endure, it is because they live not for themselves. It is because of this that they endure. So the master puts herself after others, yet remains the first. She is detached from her body, yet conserves her body. Is it not because she has no desires for herself that all her desires are fulfilled? That's verse 7 of the Tao Te Ching, translated by Charles Johnston. Next, let's break it down. This verse has three parts to it, and we'll take each part one idea at a time. Part one talks about how the Tao is always giving, and therefore everlasting, Part two talks about the sage living for others, and part three says, well, therefore, others, not the sage, define her. Part one says, heaven and earth endure. If they endure, it's because they live not for themselves. I feel like what Lao Tzu is telling us is that the Tao is giving. It's basically always creating, always giving. That's the default setting. There's one interesting footnote in the Lin Yutang translation. And it basically says that it's not living for itself. The the Tao gives life to others through its transformations. I think the transformations that he's talking about is these whole circles and the cycles of life and death. We'll notice later on that the Tao is always in motion. (laughs) And because of that, we can witness... Things going and coming, it kind of turns into that, um, or it kind of alludes to that uh, impermanent things idea that we'll see in Buddhism sometimes, actually a lot of times. Um, but I don't study that, so I can't really claim to know that much about Buddhism. All I know is that that's one of the one of the things. Okay, so. Now let's talk about part two. It says that the sage lives for others. So this is how Lao Tzu puts it. So the master puts herself after after others yet remains the first. So I feel like what he's saying is that if the sage or anyone else for that matter lives for others, it she'll find that she has everything she needs because it's already provided by the Tao. So there's not really any need to live for oneself because we already have what we what we need and part three says okay well is it not because she has no desires for herself that all our desires are fulfilled i feel like we're basically saying well look if you stop worrying about your identity and what you need then you'll actually realize that you've had them the whole time so to wrap that up let's remember that verse seven has three parts Part one is that the Tao gives and is therefore everlasting. Part two says that the sage lives for others. And part three says that while therefore others, not the sage, define who she is and gives her what she needs. Now, let's put that all back together. I'll read verse seven again. Heaven and earth endure. If they endure, it is because they live not for themselves. It is because of this that they endure. So the Master puts herself after others, yet remains the first. She is detached from her body, yet conserves her body. Is it not because she has no desires for herself that all her desires are fulfilled? now, let's take a look at some of the things that this verse made me think about today when considering abandoning identity. There are three things. One is kind of external examples of living for others. Number two, the case for abandoning identity. And three, allowing others to define me. External examples of living for others. I'll bet the earth doesn't call itself the earth. And the same for the sun, too, or any other thing we see in nature. They don't care, they just are. And it seems they have lots of longevity. But they're not conscious, at least not in the way that humans define it. So let's look at Lao Tzu, author of The Tao Te Ching. Is there anything known about his proclivity for hot soup on a lazy Sunday morning? Or what about Gandhi's ways with a guitar and his sick shreds? <laughs> nah, these facts or things are not what are remembered about these sages. What remains after their deaths are the things that they strove to teach others. A more contemporary example is Dr. Wayne Dyer, whom we quote from time to time in this podcast, and who made the Tao Te Ching accessible for me. Do I have a shrine that pays him homage, and do I adore him and worship his person? No. I don't think that's what this is about. And certainly, he's not with us anymore, so I'm quite sure he doesn't care. (laughs) But the gifts that these people left for us, they're no longer living. And they're still giving to us. One could say that by not living for themselves, they endure. Just like Lao Tzu reminds us in the first part of this verse. A thought arose in me as I was considering this. If I'm not living for myself, then what happens to me? Without an identity, won't I look like the hole in a donut? Well, I've found that the opposite is true. The hole itself actually defines the donut. And that will lead us to the second part of my experience with this verse today. The case for abandoning identity. Why do I feel the need to be somebody and leave a legacy? I think it's because that at some point when growing up, I heard people tell me that I needed to get an education, work hard, and be successful. These things seemed perfectly logical, and especially since I heard them from my parents and looked around me to find that everyone else was telling me this too. It must have been true. Teachers, TV, the radio, everything. But... I found out later that taking this message seriously was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made in my life. In fact, one of the most damaging questions I took seriously as a young boy and tried to answer for many years, like at least 35 years, was, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was certainly an innocent question asked by well-meaning adults. And I I had a choice to take it seriously or not, but I did just like I think many of us do. Interestingly, it seemed that I didn't have a choice because I didn't know any better. And while that may have been true at the time, I allowed that reality to define, to define my searches and behaviors for many, many years. Trying to answer this question led me to a lot of misery. I compared myself with others that seemed to know what they were doing as early as eighth grade. They were the cool kids who were confident and, even then, were what we'd call now influencers. I honestly thought that they had their stuff together. Now of course, I realize that they were probably just as messed up inside as me, but they were probably being in the moment better than I could manage or at least made it look that way. When I left college and entered the workforce, I was always trying to prove myself to others how hard of a worker I could be, how skilled I was at something, what sweet jobs I could get based on my resume. And indeed, we still see this at work today in our culture. Remember we talked about the difference between contentment and complacency and how one was centered in gratitude and the other in laziness? In the same way, I'm not saying that we can't push, grow, and learn to be better. I'm just saying that we use those activities to define us. And in so doing, we cause ourselves unnecessary misery. It turns out that I was fortunate enough to awaken and realize that I don't have to be anything. Now, it wasn't like a switch, like all of a sudden I realized this. It was more of a gradual process. I was just tired of not knowing and started seeking answers. In my career, I had been many things and played many roles. I loved changing jobs every year or so. But when I couldn't stay at one particular thing like so many other people seem to do, I started thinking that maybe I was flaky and wishy-washy. That feeling eventually got so heavy that I wanted to do something about it and started seeking ways to let go of that belief. And so it wasn't until I stopped entertaining the idea that I needed to be something, somebody, that I found true fulfillment for me. That simple answer... I don't have to be any one thing. I don't have to define me. Once I let it go was the answer I had been searching my whole life for, but didn't want to acknowledge because it seemed too easy. And simultaneously, the best and worst part about it was that it had been right there in front of me the entire time. That'll bring us to the third part of my experience with this verse today. allowing others to define me the mystery was solved when I finally let go of wanting to define myself and sought to be genuinely helpful to others opportunities to do fulfilling work finally came to me all of a sudden this was like a switch I was doing what felt good and right and was doing it in the service of others do you remember the second verse the one about duality when we talked about how we use opposites to define the parameters of things In the application part, we recognize the fact that other people, as my opposites, define how I can be useful. What happened for me at this point was truly miraculous. When I dropped the very thing I was searching for, when I let go of wanting an identity so badly, I sought to be helpful to others, and they in turn gave me what I needed, a way to know how I bring them value. And this is how I found passion. Second to the what do you want to be when you grow up question was the insidious statement, follow your passion. I also thought it was logical and made a whole lot of sense until I asked myself what my passion was and always came up distressingly short. What was my passion? The usual cycle looked like this. Think of something interesting, learn about it, create something new with it, then share it with other people. Only I was so busy learning about the thing and making something that I spent no time on the whole other people thing. After six months or about 60-70% of the way through the project, I would lose interest because I had learned what I wanted to learn and had tried it out. This played out over and over until I considered this. Imagine three circles that intersect each other. One circle represents what I'm good at. The other is what I love doing. And the last one is what people will give me money for. That place where they intersect, that's called my unique skill set. Shout out to one of my teachers, Mr. Mark Randall, for sharing that with me. That's the thing I can do best and have interest in doing best. For two and a half years, I thought that that was what passion was made of. But there was one little detail I missed. The next question was and what ways can I use my unique skill set to help others? And bam, once I asked that question, looked around and started helping, it all fell into place. So now I do certain things to help others and I let other people tell me what they value. It's way less work. But the best prize of all is that this fulfillment feels better and more legit than me telling myself who I am and looking for examples in the world that support my conclusion. In this way, I am acting like the sage and living the third part of this verse. Is it not because she has no desires for herself that all her desires are fulfilled? So let's go ahead and wrap up my experience with this verse today when considering abandoning identity I thought about three things number one was external examples of living for others number two is the case for abandoning identity and number three is allowing others to define me for the final piece of this episode Let's consider how we can apply the principle of abandoning identity in this verse today. When I find that I'm taking things too seriously, or things just aren't going my way, or if I'm just plain agitated, I can usually find some element of ego, or some part of me that is trying to define me, at play. In my experience, when I have unwanted feelings or I'm having trouble detaching from them, I can look inside and sense that it's mostly because the external world is not matching up to the expectations I have for a particular image of myself that I have created. For example, when I teach a class and it seems the students don't quote get it, I'm frustrated because I have assumed that I'm an effective teacher and they're not trying hard enough. When my significant other is not happy when we're together, I might assume it's because of something I did or didn't do that is disappointing. In this case, I'm comparing her attitude with a self-image I have of quote, a good husband. Those are just two common examples, work and home life, but there are many, many more instances, as numerous as the roles I play in everyday life where I've created self-images. During these times, I sometimes remember that I am frustrated because people or things are not confirming they see me in the way I wish them to. Can we see how tiring it is to try and make the world read our minds? When I feel disturbed and don't want to feel that way, and have trouble shaking that feeling off, I'll ask myself the following questions to discover when my sneaky ego is trying to run the show. (laughs) There are five questions. So the first one is what role am I trying to play right now Two, how am I behaving or acting in order to play that role? Number three is what am I really trying to get from acting this way? What's the payoff? Number four is how am I trying to seem different, special or separate? from anyone else? And then the fifth question ties it all together. Does this stem from wanting dignity, superiority, or arrogance? Those three things are just common manifestations of pride. You can come back to those questions over and over again. I'll ask myself these questions on a monthly basis at least although the more that I practice losing identity, the, le- the less I need to review them because I'm not creating my own misery. <laughs> I encourage you to take some quiet time and pick an easy one, like your role as a worker, a significant other, a parent, and think about a time when you felt frustrated in that role. Set aside for a moment what other people should have been doing and concentrate on why you were disturbed. I think you'll find this to be quite a liberating exercise when you can answer those questions. I know that for me, I feel freer every time I do it. And that'll wrap it up for today. Thanks for considering these questions. Along your journey, I wish you compassion, simplicity, and humility. To close out this episode I'll leave you with the final reading of verse 7 translated by Charles Johnston heaven and earth endure if they endure it is because they live not for themselves it is because of this that they endure so the master puts herself after others yet remains the first she is detached from her body yet conserves her body Is it not because she has no desires for herself that all her desires are fulfilled? Thanks for listening to an episode of the Tao Te Ching for Everyday Living with your host, Dan Casas-Murray. This podcast is for the Tao-curious, those looking for a random bit of wisdom once in a while, or for those who want to dive into this wonderful teaching. In each episode, we do four things— One, we read a verse of the Tao Te Ching. Two, we break it down into everyday language. Three, we discuss my own thoughts and experience with the Tao. And four, we look at a couple of the many ways you can put the Tao into practice for yourself. That's pretty much how I've been practicing the Tao every day. By listening to Lao Tzu, reflecting on his words of wisdom, listening to other comments, and trying to practice them in everyday life. I'm pretty sure that, as I learn about and experience more of the Dao, all my thoughts and lessons will change. I wish the same for you, as you grow along your journey. If you found something meaningful in this podcast, and would like to discuss it with others, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the subreddit Taoism. That's reddit.com slash r slash Daoism. Also, I'd invite you to share this podcast with friends if you think it would benefit them. As always, I wish you love, compassion, and peace. Thanks for listening.